And we show our appreciation to the Lord. Thank you, worship team, Chris, family. That was, that was wonderful. You know God gave us built-in instruments. Y'all know that? You know that? There's these things right here. People are like, I don't know how to play an instrument. Can you do this? That's worship. <laughs> All right. Well, happy Easter to everybody. It's good to see you this morning. It's Easter. It's wonderful, right? Like Easter's the best. It is the time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But I want to tell you, as a believer, every day is resurrection. Every single day is a day of celebrating the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. We are in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 is where we will be this morning. And, and I'm going to start off with a question. Eh, maybe a couple questions. Who are you following? And where are they leading you? Who are you following today? And where are they leading you? You know, our culture and some of the most followed uh, people like Cristiano Ronaldo, like Portuguese soccer player with like 410 million followers. That's crazy. 410 million followers. That just shows you there are the followed and the followers. And, and I'm like, where is Cristiano leading us? Maybe to be a better soccer player. Maybe to show us how to live up the lavish lifestyle. Uh, Kylie Jenner, one of the most followed women in our culture, 316 million followers. That's 323 million people in the United States. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of people. So where was that friend of the Kardashian slash social media influencer? Where is she leading us? Maybe to more stylish lifestyle? Be a greater influencer? How about The Rock? Y'all like The Rock? Y'all know what I'm talking about, The Rock? Come on, you got to have some chatter here. We, this is a conversation. This ain't just one-sided. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The smolder. Now, people have told me, I'm just saying, that I have an uncanny resemblance. I'm just keeping it humble, you know what I mean? Well, here's the deal. You know, where, where are we going? Like, who are we following? Where are they leading us? You know, this, this morning we're going to see a man by the name of Matthew who is going to make the profound decision, the most profound decision to follow Jesus. And the trajectory of his life is forever changed. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. We'll read through the passage, and then we're going to take it apart verse by verse. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw. Uh, a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, when they saw the type of people gathered around Jesus' table, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, being Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go learn. Go back to school, Pharisee, and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." 
So on no particular day, Jesus is walking the streets of Capernaum, and he's got his disciples with him. I say no uh, particular day. This was a very specific day. It was a specific day in the life of Matthew. This is the day where everything changed for Matthew. And we are told in Matthew 9, 9, in the very opening of the verse, that as Jesus passed on from there, as he walked the streets of Capernaum, he saw, if you have a Bible, like a literal copy of the Bible, I want you to underline the words, he saw. Very significant. Or maybe you have a digital copy. Go ahead and underline it in your digital copy. He saw. And the question that, that comes to my mind is, what did Jesus see? And I've come to find the more I spend time with the heart of the Father, what I see and what others sees, it's not always the same thing. And what Jesus sees is certainly not the same thing. What I see, what others see, and what Jesus see ain't the same thing. Because when Jesus saw Matthew, he saw what no one else could see. See, when people saw Matthew, maybe they saw a crook or a traitor or a dirt-stained sinner. You know, that's what they saw. They saw a crook in the sense that he was, he was seen as an extortioner, extorting taxes from the people. Others saw him as a traitor, that he, had, he was a traitor against his own people, uh, the Jewish people, as a representative now of Rome, extorting his own people. And some just saw a dirt-stained sinner. Like, literally, religious people would avoid him. Like, if he's walking down the road, like, and religious people were coming his way, they would literally move, not to clear the way to be polite, but they didn't want to touch him. Because just touching him made them unclean. And he probably called him a sinner as he walked down the road. But what did Jesus see? What did Jesus see when he saw Matthew that particular day? Because he walks up to Matthew and he sees him sitting in a tax booth. Here are some of the thoughts that come to mind. When Jesus saw Matthew, what I think he saw was a young man who within a very short amount of time would become one of the great apostles of the early church. And this, this is one that just boggles my mind, that, that not long after that, he would literally become the author of the very book that we're reading, that in the heart of Christ, when he called Matthew, we were caught up in that, knowing that 2,000 years later, on Easter Sunday, we would literally be sitting down, reading from, deriving spiritual truth from the very book that Matthew wrote. Like, that was all caught up in this very moment. That's what Jesus saw. What does Jesus see when he sees you? You know, I'll tell you what others see and what you see and what Jesus sees ain't the same thing. And at this very moment, Matthew came to realize that he had an incredible destiny. See, that's what Jesus saw. He saw an incredible destiny, a profound future, and that is exactly what the Lord sees in you. And some of you are like, eh, I've kind of reached my expiration date. You know, I'm old. Eh. And I'm like this. If you have breath, like if, <gasps> if you can breathe, God has a purpose for your life. And it is profound. And it is a destiny. And it is something that stretches in front of you. But I will tell you, destiny hinges on a choice. It hinges on a decision. And here's what's interesting. Every single day we're faced with decisions, right? Like oatmeal or Cheerios hamburger or sandwich, Highway 30, 635 or George Bush, Walmart or Tom Thumb. 
cooking another meal at home or eating out. Here's the deal. In a family of seven, I've done the math, we do 21 meals a day. 21 meals a day. Literally. It's like a soup kitchen, man. We, we just cycle these children in, and we're just like, here's yours, here's yours, here's yours, here's yours. Spread out all the plates. And there's times where I look at Madeline, and she's like, we're like so tired. We just want to eat out. But we're faced with a choice. It's like cook another meal or spend $1,000 to take our kids out to eat. <laughs> Sorry, kids. We were going to send you to college, but we just don't feel like cooking. Well, here's the thing. Some of the most profound decisions that we are faced with happen during some of the most mundane moments of our life. We're just going about our day. We will be faced with profound decisions in the midst of the mundane. I mean, I think for Matthew, he like woke up that day. He ate like a, a real fit Galilean breakfast, maybe some fish. Mm-mm-mm, nothing better than fish for breakfast. Maybe a couple of pieces of bread, an early cup of Galilean coffee. I don't know. He started his day. Got behind the wheel of his donkey, like got to the tax booth, like set everything up. He had no idea that this was the very moment that the most profound decision would be placed before him. And Jesus walks up to him. He saw him, and he said to him, follow me. And I imagine at that very moment, Matthew was like, are, are you talking to me? Like, out of all of the people at Capernaum that day, like, Matthew was the least likely candidate to be, like, called into the inner circle of Jesus. I mean, it's scandalous. I mean, I can imagine Matthew's like, uh, this ain't going to be good for your reputation. I mean, what was Jesus thinking? That he would literally call a crook, a traitor, and a a dirt-stained sinner into his inner circle. It would have been scandalous for a tax collector to be called. But these two words, it's significant. Jesus just says, follow me. There's no Q&A session. There's no like breaking it down. There's no like, hey, where are we going? It's just follow me. And caught up in the the invitation, it's, it's not just follow me for a couple of days. Like literally at this very moment, the words follow me literally were speaking of follow me for the rest of your life. Follow me for the rest of your life. Like it's a turning point. This is a hinge moment. Like everything else is behind. What goes forward now is follow me. It's complete commitment. And this reminds me of like standing at the edge of the door of a plane, like 14,000, 18,000 feet. You know, you're just like up there. It's <sighs> sitting there at the door and you're like, nope. And you're faced with a choice. You either jump or you get back in the back of the plane. Because here's the thing. Once you jump, you ain't getting back in that plane. You're in. And that is exactly what is happening for Matthew at this very moment. It's like, are you going to jump or are you going to stay in the box? And here's what I mean by the box. Like Matthew was in the box. Like his box is is, is what it was. He was an ambitious young man. I believe he had climbed the ranks. He had gone and he, he had, for whatever reason, he had chosen the profession of tax collector. It was very lucrative. He probably went to school, got a certificate, some training. He was certified by Rome. He was given the, one of the most prosperous trade routes in Capernaum. Like, uber successful. Maybe had a, a young family. 
began to build a house, maybe like build his net worth, like his future stretched out in front of him. And I just want to say this, Jesus, man, he just loves to show up and mess up your whole world. If you will let him, he will jack up your box that you sit in. And you'll look back and you'll think, what? I'm so thankful he did that. Because our boxes today, this is kind of like what we live in, things we pursue, the paths we take, the training, the licensing, the things we purchase, the things we worship, the things we love, the plans we make. This is what my future holds. Like if I close my eyes and I see my future stretching out in front of me, that's my future. And Jesus is like, yeah, I want to mess that all up. Matthew had every reason to stay in the box because it's comfortable, it's safe, it's what I know. But here's what's crazy. Matthew had a choice, and you know what he does? He chooses to jump. Matthew 9, 9, he rose and followed him. I mean, it speaks of immediacy. This would have been insane. I could imagine Matthew going to his friends, okay, y'all, here, check this out. Here's my plan. Or like sitting down with his wife, honey, check this out. I'm leaving the tax business. She's like, "Uh uh-huh. And I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. That sounds crazy. If you're not ever accused of being a little crazy and you're following and chasing after Jesus, if you're not risking it to the point where people look in and they go, hey, um, I don't know if you've really thought about that. If, like people don't accuse you of being just a little crazy in following Jesus, then here's the thing. You have gotten too domesticated. And I believe that is one of the great illnesses of the North American church is we've gotten too comfortable. We're all domesticated. We're like, I just like my kibble and uh, a little cup of water. This is great. I like my comfortable house. I like my manicured lawn. Ah, that's just great. Did you know that like Christians throughout history risked it? They literally risked everything. They leveraged it all. Like, Lord, send me anywhere, anytime, any place. Fill me with your presence. Give me the power, and I will just give it up. I'll give it all up to chase you. Following Jesus is risky. Oh, man, I can't think of any better life. And at this very moment, we see this calling, and it's identical to the very calling of Andrew, Peter, James, and John. So flip back in your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And the reason why I want us to look at this, because this is normal. This is just the normal, radical call of Jesus on our life. So on a particular day, while Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw. And remember, what others saw, what they saw, and what Jesus saw wasn't the same thing. I mean, he saw Simon Peter. Like, literally, the great preacher of Pentecost, the great apostle of the early church. This day, he was just a fisherman, just Fisherman Simon. Casting a net into the sea, him and his brother Andrew, why were they casting a net into the sea? Because that's what fishermen do. So what was their box? They're a fisherman. I don't know, maybe in the future expand their business, get a couple extra boats, a few more nets. Like that's the direction of their life. <laughs> Jesus came to mess all that up. 
And so the Lord saw him and said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Here's the thing. Jesus says, I will make of you something that you cannot make of yourself. It will blow your mind what the Lord will do in and through you from a surrendered posture. And we're told immediately they left their nets and followed him. They had no idea what that meant. But they were willing to follow. And then again, going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and he called them, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. That's just normal. Like to them, they were like, follow you? Okay. And so when we look at Matthew 9, 9, in the context of this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. He said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. What this tells me is this is how Jesus normally calls people. Follow me. From my earliest experiences with Jesus, I can distinctly remember him calling me to follow him. Like, I just felt called. I, like, I just felt his presence, and he, and he saved my life. Like, I remember the very moment in a little prayer room with George Weber, and I invited Jesus into my life, and I was, like, filled with the presence of God, and I was like, yeah, I'll follow you anywhere. And, like, I can look back at this life, and I'm like, it has blown my mind, like the incredible things that the Lord has brought about in my life. Miracles and things that seem impossible today. Like, Lord, you did that? We, we're called, and, and here's the thing. I was once a fisherman. Like, that was the thought of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now I'm a sold-out follower of Jesus. I, I was once a tax collector. Now I'm a sold-out follower of Jesus. And here's the thing. When I started following Jesus, it wasn't like I was leaving behind, like, a, a, an illustrious career or whatever. I was a dope-smoking, beer-guzzling, long-haired, shoeless, jobless, living in a car, wandering the streets of Southern California, lost hippie. I had nothing to give him. It's not like I was like, wow, I've got so much to give up. But what's crazy is we will cling to things as if they're our very life because it's what we know. But when Jesus called me, I may have been a beer-guzzling, dope-smoking hippie lost on the streets of Southern California, but now I am a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus. <laughs> following Jesus means following Jesus. And I love how Matthew celebrates. Like, you know what? There is no one more excited than a brand-new believer. A person who freshly gives their life to Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. You want to know how I know that? Because a new believer is filled with joy and love and passion and excitement. And what happens is all of those older saints who are no longer filled with the Holy Spirit are filled with a spirit of dryness and like a lack of passion and a lack of fullness of their love. And they look in on the new believer and they go, oh, I remember when I was like that i.e. that was when I was full of the Holy Spirit. But now today, there should be a passion in us. You see, when the, the Holy Spirit of God fills us, there's a freshness to it. There is a life breathing in. And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit does not want to rent a room in your life. He wants to take over the whole life. 
He wants to buy the whole house, and you invite him all the way in. And we're told that the Holy Spirit comes into our life. That is literally the presence of Jesus and, and God the Father in our life. And so Matthew at this moment, he's like so filled with joy, he throws a party. And, and he, if you're throwing a party, who do you call? Your friends. And so that's exactly what Matthew does. And I love his group of friends. This is like my kind of party. Uh, verse 10. So he throws this party, and Jesus reclined at table. In, okay, so here's the thing. It's, it's mind-boggling who is welcome around Jesus' table. So the reclined at table, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. This is like an incredible mix of people. Like this is a group of cultural scoundrels, right? Like tax collectors and sinners. There's thieves and liars. Like no one was leaving their wallet out, like on the table. Hey, and you had, like, this is like strippers and used car salesmen and addicts and fall-down drunks and famous actors and actresses and crooked politicians and porn junkies and pool party gossips and gay and transgender people or any other person that you're convinced there's no way Jesus would invite them to the table. They are welcome at his table of grace. They are welcome. Because apparently... I know some of you are like, that's intense. If we have not met. <laughs> My name is Chris Carroll. <laughs> and I do. I get passionate. Because apparently, Jesus was totally comfortable in a house full of sinners. Just think about that for a second. And the Bible tells us that if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. And that Jesus never did a single thing or spoke a, a single word that was apart from the will of the Father. And so this tells me that God the Father loves sinners. And that when we're filled with the love of God, we are going to love sinners. I mean, just think of this party. There would have been foul language and dirty jokes. There probably were a few obnoxious drunks. There always is, right? They're just bouncing into everything, getting louder. Maybe a scuffle or two breaking out. There would have been peals of laughter and the clinking of cups and, and plates. And this was a celebration. Never had they been invited to the table. But this wasn't how it was supposed to be. This just wasn't how it was supposed to be. And, and, and so there was a group of people there, and they were in their own little box. And I'm going to call this the religion box, and that's the grossest box of all. You see, the religion box, it, it's a box, it's a series of laws and regulations. It's like deeply dug boundary markers that say you can't cross this barriers. You can't come any closer. A heavy emphasis on changing people's behavior with no real impact or effect in the heart. These are those who are in, and there are those who are out. Religion is a box. And here's the thing. Everyone was welcome at the table, like everyone, even the religious people. But here's the deal. Religious people will not take a seat with the real Jesus because the real Jesus sits with people that the religious love to hate. Religious people will not sit at the table with the real Jesus because the real Jesus sits with people that the religious love to hate. Because there was a group of Pharisees that came in in verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw, oh, what did they see? What do you think the Pharisees saw? 
They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you have a friend that just somehow, someway, always says the most socially awkward things at the most inopportune moments? Do you have a friend like that? Some of you, your spouse is like, oh my gosh, that's so them. <laughs> Honey, are you listening? I mean, do you, do you have that person that always brings like that unnecessary fragrant offering to a closed room? You all know what I'm referencing. Like, you're just like, this isn't the time for that. But that's exactly what the Pharisees do. They bring their foul, stinky, legalistic perspective into a joyous party. And they just stink up the joint. I mean, like, what a smelly thing to say. Why did your teacher eat with such gross people? I can imagine the house grew quiet. Like, what would Jesus say? Because this is the very moment where literally the kingdom of God was like hinging. Because the question is, what type of people are welcome in the kingdom of God? Who had Jesus come for? Like the very kingdom of God hinges on this very moment. What was Jesus going to say? And I'll be honest with you, truth be told, if I didn't know Jesus very well and I was in that moment, I would have immediately left the house. Brand new, uh, like I wasn't even a believer yet. Somebody invited me on a Halloween to go to a concert. And I was like, that sounds really dorky because it was at a church. I'd never been to a church before, but I just assumed it was full of dorks. I'm just being honest. <laughs> That's what I assume. I'm like, there's got to be the dorkiest bunch of people in the world. But I was like, I was living in death. And I was tired of it. I was so exhausted by it. And I, I was like, there's got to be something else. And, and so I went. And it was a little awkward, right? Like before the concert, I, everybody was like staring at me because I pulled out my Marlboros. And I'm like, well, I kept my weed in my pocket. I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I, I realized like this is a church, Okay. So I put my cigarette out, and I went in, and, and the concert started, and it was this group. It was like, switch something, switch. Yeah, switch foot. I didn't know who switched. I used to go to, like, corn concerts and Rob Zombie and, like, go see Black Eyed Peas and all that. Some of you are like, I have no idea who that is. Anyway, so I go in, and here's what's crazy. The concert rocked. Like, and it was in this venue where I was, like, literally right up against the stage, and I was like, yeah, you rock. And the lead singer's like, no, you rock. I was like, no, you rock louder. And then all of a sudden, I looked around, and I was surrounded by security. And I, like, looked around, and all the Christians were sitting there like this. Oh, yeah, it's pretty good in here. Yeah, the music's really good. Yeah. And I noticed the security, like, getting closer to me. And this guy approached me, he goes, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. I was living in death. I was so lost. And I was so sick. And I immediately felt like a threat. And I couldn't get out of that church fast enough. I wandered in death for another year. And so Pastor Larry, God, thank you for Pastor Larry, who could look past the weed and the drinking and the, just the total lost life, and he lavished me, and he shared the love of God with me, and Jesus, like, broke into my life. We don't act that way around here. Wow. 
Jesus, overhearing the judgmental words of the Pharisees, laid down the framework for the gospel of grace. When Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And so here's the deal. Jesus has come for the sick, and then he sends the Pharisees back to school. Verse 13, go learn. Go do some learning religious people, what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call not the righteous, but the sinner. See, the religious people are the sickest of all because they walk in self-righteousness. And here's what's crazy. I will hear people share and confess all kinds of sin. And I've confessed all kinds of sin in my life, but I have never once heard a person confess their sin of legalism. Never once. I have never once heard a person confess that they were a legalist or they're a pharisaical heart. Because you know why? The legalistic heart is a blind heart. And when they heard those words, I imagine those Pharisees went out and went, man, I can't wait till we kill this guy. Not realizing by killing that guy and through his resurrection, the medicine would be distributed to the masses. Salvation to all who believe. And so this morning, I just, I want to encourage you that the kingdom of God, like we need to redefine what it's, what, who the kingdom of God is for. It's for the spiritually sick who are saved by grace because Jesus came for tax collectors and thieves and liars and murderers and strippers and used car salesmen and addicts and fall down drunks and famous actors and actresses and crooked politicians and people who are locked up, porn junkies and pool party gossips, gay and transgender people or any other person that you're convinced, no way the love of God is for them. Yes, way. Yahweh. His love is to be lavished on all people. So God, fill us with that kind of love so that we would be people of mercy. Amen? Yeah. Yep. So it's time to get out of the box, folks, out of that safe little American dream box. It's so cozy. It's suffocating the spiritual life. It's time to get out of that rigid academic box of intellectualism. Well, I know so much about God, but I don't know him like a friend. The box of religion, the box of addiction, the box of unbelief. It's time to get out of the box and follow Jesus. And so this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If this is, if this is a day of response for you, it's, oh, it's beautiful because that has been my prayer. Lord, you move the way you choose to move. You bring about the way you choose to bring about life. That's just how God does it. And so my prayer is that he just moves in here. And so today, if you, if you feel like this is the day you want to invite Jesus into your life, or you want to recommit your life and you say, Lord, I've wandered away. I'm, I'm wanting to come back. If you need prayer for healing, and I'm talking anything like your marriage, your soul, your mind, physical healing, you need prayer today. Or if you're just like, I don't feel his love and I want a fresh filling of his presence and his spirit, I'm going to invite you to come down. I'll be standing over here and uh, my lovely wife, Madeline, will be standing next to me and we are going to pray with you and over you. All are welcome to come for prayer, and we're going to sing about his love, and so we're going to stand together. Let's stand up, and if you just feel like the Lord's calling you up here, just come on up. Thank you.
All right, family, it's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. We have one service at 11. But do not forget, family, you are loved. Don't, don't stay distant from Daddy's love. And I pray you are filled with his love, lavish his love on one another, and absolutely rock the streets and your family's hearts with the love of Jesus. Have a great Easter.